Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 191 for Monday, November 26th, 2018. Greetings, folks, and Welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How you doing, Mr. Kent? Good, man. Hope you had a nice holiday. I did. Thanksgiving was good here. Uh, lots of turkey, lots of family. That's pretty much what it's supposed to be, right? That's what it's supposed to be, man. Yeah. Good. You ready, yeah. ready to go through the holidays now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm even mostly finished with my uh, my holiday gift shopping too, which makes get out of here. Little... I am. I, <laughs> I know it. Like it wasn't intentional. That's the best part of it. Is I I just you know I would come across something you know maybe starting late October or something. I'd come across something. Oh, that'd be good for so and so. Okay, yeah, great, fine. Get ahead of it a little bit. Oh, that one might be good for that person or whatever. And suddenly we got to you know like leading up to Black Friday. And I was looking through my. I'm like. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I'm, huh. Look at that. There's only a couple holes left. That's pretty good. So, well, I, I will just share with the, with the, our listeners that, um, I use that nugs.net, nugs.net, which they're like an official bootleg distribution. They record and master and distribute bootlegs. Yeah. And, uh, I think if we get live today, I think they, they're, um, Cyber Monday, 50% off all their shows, which is a pretty good deal. So, you know, I get, I take a lot of their Springsteen bootlegs, but they have Pearl Jam and a lot of jam bands and a lot of stuff like that. And it's, it's mastered really well. So it's, uh, it's a good they deal. do, those guys do a great job. And, um, and I actually had a long conversation with their founder, Brad Serling, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And, uh, and I think we'll, we'll be able to get him on the show here to talk oh, that'd about be cool. what he does. He's such a good guy. Yeah. There's a few people that have tried that whole process. I mean, I remember going to a whole note show about six, seven years ago and some company went on tour with them and was trying to give you a CD as you walked out. You know, you could buy a CD yeah. and, and they would burn it for you as you walked out. But I don't think that company's around anymore. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Nugs just does it all downloadable. And, yeah. um, and well, it, no, 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 you can buy CDs. Oh, I mean, right. They, but not at the show. Right. Not yeah, at the yeah. show. That's yeah. correct. You can, you and can they give you, CD. you know, they give you MP3 and, and, uh, and flack options. So high res. And so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, they, they clearly know their stuff. They know audio files. They know music musicians, they know music. So it, yeah. they, they seem to be the right people for the job. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they're the ones that, that do all of fish's stuff too. And, and that was sort of an interesting thing. They started kind of doing it on their own and, and then fish came to them and evidently the conversation went something along the lines of, Hey, look, so we love what you're doing, but we can't let you do it. So we either have to partner with you or sue you. And we'd really kind of rather the former. So can we have a talk? <laughs> and, yeah. and it worked out really well. And I, I think Springsteen, it's a similar thing. Cause you know, like the, 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 I think it's fair to say that Springsteen is, is as fiercely independent as, as a band like fishes and they kind of have their own way that they need to manage their stuff. And so, so yeah, but, but taping has been a part of the culture of Springsteen fans since the beginning, like fish. Correct. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's There's right. There's a lot of stuff out there. And so when they, and they've been doing uh, one a month, uh, you know, official mm. re-releases of, of famous shows throughout his career. And again, the, the quality is really great. Oh, and it's killer. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So good yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. 
So, dude, we we ended our show last week talking about um, this TC Helicon um, effect opportunity. And I think of all the things that we've talked about on the show, that has gotten us the most responses. I mean, a lot of people clearly want to talk about gear. And so before we kind of touch on that, I think there's a couple lessons for us. One is we've spent a good part of this show's history kind of talking about the social aspects, you know, fans and, you know, how to how to interact with your bandmates and how to fire people and hire people, that type of stuff. But clearly, we for 2019, we got to put our thinking caps on. I think the people who listen to this, they want to talk about gear. And I also think they want to talk about songs. I think they kind of want to get more nitty gritty about the mm. stuff that they play. So well, that's it. That's yeah. my suggestion. I, I I think that's a good um, a good synopsis of what we learned from all this. That's right. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense, right? Because gear and songs are the things we're always thinking about and dealing with as working musicians, right? So it makes yeah. perfect sense to 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 kind of you know dig deeper into that, which from my standpoint is great. I love gear. I'm a geek. I you know I can't actually. I will say this: We are gonna we're gonna revisit uh, and share all of your feedback about the or some some of your feedback. I'm sure this will be an ongoing conversation, but uh, but we'll we'll revisit the concept of vocal stomp boxes. Share some of your feedback and share some of the lessons that that I've certainly learned. Um, my perspective has changed, perhaps a little bit on these things, maybe. And the uh, thing is, you're a technical guy, and, and you can dissect the the bits yeah. and bytes of gear. And yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. like many guitar players, just always searching for the perfect tone. Yep. And so, you know, my trials and tribulations will be of, of a different type of use for people. But um, I think we can, you know, dude, I've been saying for years, we need to get our butts to Nam and you know do a live show at Nam and yeah. you know, do that type of stuff. That'd be yes. fun. That would be fun, huh? It's coming up. It is coming up. Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that. All right. Yeah. But for this week, so that'll be in, in 192 next week, which will come out on Tuesday because we've got a little scheduling thing going on. But uh, but we are here for 191. And at the end of last show, Paul, you said you wanted to talk about originals a little bit more. So I here do. we are. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So here's here's the thing. Um, as a person who's played music for a long time, I am fascinated by original music. I'm terrified by original music personally. I have great admiration for other people, but but for me, you know, I've written books and books and books of lyrics and I go back and read it and it just oh they're going people are going to laugh at that. It's just not good enough. It's not thoughtful enough. It's not deep enough. It's not, you know, impactful enough. And I typically get stuck. I've written tens of thousands of riffs and, you know, thrown the beginnings of chord progressions, but I could never get over the line. And for 2019, it's a goal for me to actually, you know, go through the whole birthing process from conception to recording something and distributing something. I, I've recorded and yeah, I've distributed stuff, right? Yep. But, you know, my own personal thoughts. So that's one aspect of it is just kind of like, you know, the process of, of, uh, 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 of, birthing creating original music you know i want to talk about that but i also want to talk about the do's and don'ts of how you mix this into your cover band career because you know cover band will get you a stage and it'll get you an audience for a lot of things and it dawns on me that there's right ways and wrong ways to use your originals in in these scenarios and then there's also you know the other door that you can walk through is you know like many people we know like we had the Coffus brothers on here they're an original band right. occasionally they'll do something interesting and put a cover into their original set but they've plied their path as many do as original music 
it is really, really interesting to me that there's this, these interesting Chinese walls amount perceptions about cover music isn't real music and you know how i'm always really fascinated how people who are who are a hundred percent original artists how the things we take for granted as cover artists just don't even dawn on original artists the nuances of cover songs that we sweat over yeah. often yeah. you know don't even come into the oh yeah i know that song you know i think this is basically it and it's you know so it's just really interesting to me that the the spectrum of uh, thought that goes into from cover to and and it, it the path is not start as a cover musician and end up as an original musician for everybody. Many people just start writing songs at a very young age, and you know that's music to them, and that's how they learn their craft. Um, but I don't know. You've done it all, so I'm going to kind of toss well, it back to you. I haven't done it all, but I've done a lot of these different types of things, right? And and I think it is. Um, maybe I'm imposing, so I'm definitely imposing my own beliefs because that's just how it goes. But I find it helpful to know where you stand in your own head. You know, are you, is this particular project, this band, this, whatever, you know, this acoustic gig that I'm doing or this acoustic act, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, is it primarily a cover thing or primarily an original thing? And I've always found it helpful in my head to have that distinction. Uh, because that way you you sort of know how to how to manage your own expectations, but also how to manage the expectations of the people that are following you. Like, so what, let me, let me pause what you right do you there. do? Right. What what should I expect when I come to see you play? And, and that's sort yep. of thing. Yep. So I'm going to interject here. So to me, songwriting seems like an incredibly personal process. I couldn't imagine co-writing music with someone else. I couldn't imagine seeding uh, control of, a, of, you know, some intellectual thought that I had. Um, it seems weird, but I know you in, in some of the projects that you have part of the way that you choose, I think is, are these guys that I want to create music with and in create that's covers and original music. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Fair. I, I'm, but I have been in bands that, are original only projects. And, and generally when, when that happens, well, we'll talk about it, but the covers sometimes get involved, but not as the primary thing, but yeah, in terms of songwriting, uh, I, I, so I am pretty much like you in terms of being petrified about putting my songs out there. But, uh, I started doing that when like, I've always worked with really good songwriters that I was invited in, high school, early in high school to join a band of guys that they already were writing their own songs. And so I came in as, as the drummer, but also they were collaborators, right. And they were totally fine having input um, kind of in both directions. And I worked with those guys uh, for a long time and really got comfortable with the idea of, of, you know, original music. Cause we had good success with our songs. Like everybody in our high school knew these songs and they'd come to the gigs and they'd sing along and, they they dissect the lyrics and sometimes they'd have them wrong in funny ways. And that was even better, you know, and, and all of that was, was great and gave me a foundation to say, Oh, I should write some songs. And I, I've written exactly two songs. One of them was released and 
uh, did extremely well for us on college radio. And then from there, it was like, well, I don't have another idea, you know? So, um, and that was the song, uh, it was a song called running down. And that was the one where our guitar player talked me into changing the drum groove for the tune because, you know, that's what he thought was a better groove. And I think I mentioned on here that he said, well, I'd probably veto it for the recording project we have this weekend, unless you change the drum groove. (laughs) And so I did. Uh, and he was right. It was a better drum groove. But the funny part was like the whole song began as we should play a song that, that has this more relaxed groove that I came up with. And and then that was the, the one thing that was not included in the final product. So that that I think that perhaps speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Right. This thing where you kind of have to trust your bandmates or not. But I find certainly as a non songwriter, primarily uh, it's there, there is a lot of input that the people that are going to be playing your song can provide if they're people that you can trust. Um, and, and, and that becomes a very enjoyable process. Uh, I, I I talk about my friend, Billy Butler all the time. He's a prolific songwriter. He's also a great singer and, you know, lots of other great piano player, lots of things, but, uh, but he is one of the best collaborators I've ever worked with. Uh, Hmm. It almost, what, what is the definition of a good collaborator? What does he do to make him such a good collaborator? Well, he, you know, he comes up with his ideas for his songs. He'll write, you know, chord progression and lyrics. And, and then he just like, lets you play it. And it, it it was it was a little bit intimidating, in fact, at first, just because he had no input to provide, you know, and it was like, well, is he hating what I'm doing? Like, am I putting all this time in? And then he's going to tell me. So that was cool. But mm, no, you should do this, you know, and certainly there have been times with him over the years where that's exactly what has happened, you know, because yeah. he's had a vision and and but he he lets people play with it first and more often than not what people come up with is it becomes like that part of that song. And it really does change the tunes. And I think he, I think he does that because he's learned that he can always impose his ideas at any point in the process. But once he does that, it basically shuts down everybody else's ideas. And he knows that his ideas aren't always the the final product. And sometimes it's better to, to just, you know, take input just like you would on any other project. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the multiple minds are better than one is true in a lot of cases. It's certainly not true in all cases. And there's some things that should be not be decided by committee and that sort of thing. And we could point to examples like that, but songwriting, especially or song crafting, I should say and arranging, especially with a group of people that are used to playing together and kind of know how each other works. Uh, it, it, that can be a, a really beneficial thing. I I, I bet. So I yeah. think uh, here's my here's my optic into it. So yeah. I would write something, a song, sure, and uh, bring it in, uh, or or bring in bring in people I would want to play on it. Yep. Um, so and again, you know, I've had the House Rockers for twenty years, and the House Rockers. Remember, I'm kind of revealing, you know, my kind of like gestalt sure. on the right. The house rockers are really good at what they do. I don't know if that's the sound that I would want for original music. Right. Maybe it is. I don't know. Right. And certainly there are great players in there that would all, you know, want to contribute in some way. But would I want that sound? Is that me as an original person? So remember, the house rockers never had, never have had um, a 
a map towards original music being part of our. We're we're right. built for you're a, a very you're specific a cover band. band. Right. You're a right. horn based cover band. Absolutely. But yep. you know, over years and you know, certainly me doing these acoustic solo things have really got me starting to explore creativity in interesting ways. And like I said, over the years I've written a lot, a lot, a lot of words, a lot of fragments, you know. Not as many whole songs because, again, you know, I look at a god. That's just not good enough. Well, um, but see, that's the that's the thing where having a songwriting partner can be great because you've got somebody, and it, it has to be a relationship that has just like doors wide open for yeah. trust, right? Yeah. But uh, but it's a pretty intimate thing. It's a very intimate thing. That's a good word for that. Yeah, exactly. But if you've got somebody that you can say, okay, look, here's this idea. I know there's something here, but uh, I don't think it's good enough. Then you can just go back and forth on this and say, ah, oh, well, what if you tried this? Mm, no, that's actually worse. Okay, great. <laughs> what if you tried that, right? You know, where failure is just sort of part of the process. And you just kind of beat on it and beat on it and beat on it until you've got this thing where you both say, well, I can't, I can't find anything else wrong with it, you know? So therefore it must be yeah. good. And, and, and then you put it out and then you hear from other people and you realize, oh, wow, it actually still does kind of suck, but look at what we learned. And then you get to go do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And, and that's that, yeah. you know, I think uh, uh, there, if you want to hear some of these lessons um, in context, that history of the Eagles movie has several references to that part of the songwriting process. It's just like, yeah, we just work and work and work and work. And, you know, inspiration rarely is the last thing that happens in writing a song. It's the first thing you have a little inspiration of something, and then you have to sit down and do the hard work of crafting this thing and throwing out the crap and, you know, yeah. just like just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And there's, there's something to that. And, and it's fun, right? Like that process can be so much fun where you, you just work on a tune. In fact, I will, I will tell a story that I, I didn't, uh, I didn't wind up including last week. We played that, that gig that I mentioned where we talked about the vocal boxes and all that stuff. Well, yeah. the rehearsal just prior to that, Russ had written a new tune and he had brought it in. Aaron was not at this rehearsal. And so we played this tune and it's a, it's a tune about like a monster chicken. And the name of the song is goblin cock, right? It really is about a, a monster chicken. It's not what you would think when you hear the title, <laughs> it's, 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 but this is part of the genius of, of Russ miles and his songwriting craft. Right? So uh, we played it through and, and, and it was one of these things where we tried it. He had it envisioned in like a straight four groove. And then we, but this riff that he wrote really sounded kind of like an Irish reel. So we turned it into a 12, eight kind of thing at, at points and, and really just played with it. And it was just fun. And it by no means was finished. Nothing was finalized with this, right? It was just like, okay, we've got some ideas. We'll do it again when we get together next week or whatever. For whatever reason, I put it in the bullpen on the set list. Uh, now, Aaron, our keyboard player, not only had never played the song, he had never even heard it. Right. Uh, but I put it in the, <laughs> Why bullpen. Was it in the bullpen. Well, because I don't know. I was having some fun putting, put you know, <laughs> so I build a set list and then I have what I call the back pocket. Right. Like the songs that we can go to if 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 we need them or, you know, whatever. And so I just put it in there mostly as a joke to the five of us. Like, oh, yeah. Like there's Goblin Cock. Great. Well, <laughs> we got, I don't know, at a point in the set where we kind of had the crowd in the palm of our hands and and uh, it was like. And Russ said, let's play it. Like, 
okay. And I know he and Aaron had talked before the gig. Aaron was like, what's this thing? Like I, he, Aaron took it as far more serious than I meant it when I put it on the, in the bullpen there. And so he was like, well, wait, like, tell me the chord structure. So at least I'm not totally lost during this tune. So he and Russ had talked about it. That's probably what put it into Russ's head. And, and, you know, then we played it. And so we did it and we get to the chorus and I hear Aaron instead of singing the lyrics, which he didn't really know, he was uh, sing- whistling a harmony to the lyrics. And I hear this in my monitors. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then Mike took a guitar solo. And in the middle of the guitar solo, I had this, mo- I had this you know, inspiration. And so I'm, I'm like locked in on Aaron, waiting for him to look at me so I can catch his eye. And I catch his eye and I mouth whistle to him. And he kind of, okay, he nodded. And we get to the, the, you know, in the form of the tune, we get around to where the solo would stop. And thankfully the whole band was paying attention. I stopped everything and we just had nothing going, but two Uh. full phrases of whistle harmony in this tune. And then the whole band comes in and we, we sing the chorus and, and then we're out. And it was a great moment. I don't know if it actually sounded any good at all, but, but it was like, this was part of the true fun of this songwriting process is like, here's this thing that we can just mold any way we want. And because we're a band that has been playing together for over a decade and we know each other, like we can take those kinds of risks on stage too, you, you know? Yeah. And so, so there's a ton of fun in the songwriting process. And actually I think Goblin Cock will work out to be a, a pretty good tune. Russ, Russ has a, a knack for these things. And that's cool. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, man, you I'm still stuck. You know, I think about writing a song about my wife or my kids or sure. you know, the world or my or dad, a or goblin cock, maybe. Or, right. right. And it just seems like it's a very deep, intimate, you know, thing. And it's a story I need to tell myself yep. one. Yep. Um, so, and I, I don't know, you know, you're one of my best friends in the world. And I don't even know if I would, if I would bring the stuff to you. Right. right. I don't even know if I would say, because I kind of feel like the end thought has to be mine in, in order for it to be uh, the creative, creatively satisfying thing it is. I'm not built real well. I'm, I'm kind of binary in this. I'm either going to encourage you to feel connected to this and want you to, you know, and then I'm going to give up too much of what I want to give up about it. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm either going to turn into the, um, you know, the great, coalescer right and get everybody to feel connected to it because i i need them to feel connected to it or i'm just going to do it myself and i and i everything about me and again it's the way i'm wired everything about me says it has to be your own has to be your own thought that's 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 the challenge of it yeah i, mean, I can make rhymes but you know what i, <laughs> whether yeah, I can that's make different. something right yeah huh so all yeah, right no, well that's I get interesting that. it's so a, it's a tough thing for sure um, because you're taking something that is yours and, and, and giving it to yes. everyone else, not just yes. your bandmates or musicians in the studio or whoever it is that are playing or recording this song for you, but then you are giving it to other people and, and you think about how you react when you hear a new song from some artist you like, or just any artist really, Yeah, you know, you relate your life to that. It, it, you and, and at that point, then you might think, Hmm, I wonder what the songwriter was thinking when, you know, he or she wrote this little bit. But that's everything about music for me. I mean, it, the people I like most are, they write their own songs. You know, the most obvious would be Dylan, right? Sure. So, you know, people have a very strong feeling about Dylan's vocal qualities, right? Right. I hear, I hear him telling the story that he created through his own 
you know, through his own instrument. Yep. And I find incredible meaning for that. And that's, that's music to me. Right. Right. And that's the beauty of it is it's different for everyone. Yes. And I like bands and there's great, so yeah, that is the beauty of it. But, uh, you know, I get it. I hear you. There, there is the way you have to be wired or you have to be willing to take a, uh, throw it to the universe and trust. I think you got to pick the people you trust carefully is one thing. Well, but you don't get to pick those people. I think that's the point I'm trying to make is if you are going to release a song, you have to let people make it their own if they want to, if that's what happens, right? Because you don't necessarily choose to make a song about you, right? I mean, clearly it's not about you. Somebody else wrote it. How could it possibly be? But you hear some lyric in it or, you know, the, the song in some way communicates an emotion to you perhaps even musically. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's my song. People at weddings all the time. Like this is our song. Well, to be fair, no, it's not right. Like somebody wrote it 20 years ago or two days ago, whatever it is. But unless you wrote the song, it's not your song, but it, it is your song, right? It's that's, that's also true because it means something special to them or to you. And when you write something, you have to be, and this is not an easy, I mean, I say this as though it's like, oh yeah, just, you know, just do it. No, but what will happen is people will take it as their own. And, um, if and that's you've done a, it right. Uh, yeah, that's right. If yes, that's the goal, right? It's, it's, it's actually what you want to have happen. And it's a mm. weird thing. Like when I was in go figure in college and you know, we, I mean, we had, we had a pretty big following and, uh, we mostly were an original band and, uh, and, you know, we would have people come up to us and say, oh, yeah, you know, this tune or that tune, the, the, you know, it, it means so much to me. And it's like, wow, that's really weird. And like, you know, you don't say that to somebody, at least you try not to. <laughs> but it's really weird when somebody says, oh, yeah, I hope you play this song tonight because, you know, I really love it. And it, it got me through a thing or it reminds me of it. It's like, yeah, I, I whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. I was just going to go play the drums and try and do my best. Now, now you've got this thing planted in my head and, and, but it ups the ante. It's like, oh, well now we have to deliver, you, you know, like, but think about that. Important. Think about if you wrote, um, think about if you wrote wonderful tonight. Yeah. Think about the millions of people that that was their first dance in there. I mean, right. is there any higher thing to aspire to as a songwriter? Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you asked me a question about the, the, or you posed the question of, you know, cover bands playing originals and original yes. bands playing covers. And this really is an interesting thing. That band I was in in high school, uh, we, we started as an original band. We would, we would certainly play covers. We played some covers by, cause we had to fill out our set. Right. We, you know, we started getting asked to play parties at, at people's homes, you know, uh, while we were in high school, it was like, okay, well, we've got to, you know, we don't have enough originals to to go, you know, two hours or whatever. So we started throwing stuff in and that's what got me into The Cure and REM and things like that. Um, th that was the, the type of music. The Pixies we played, I never quite embraced, but it was fine. We played some police, played some police tunes, I actually played quite a few police tunes because our singer, uh, one of our singers, I should say, was really, really good at that. And, uh, and, and so we did. And, the last gig that band played, we got off stage and Jeff turned to me and he says, do you realize we didn't play any originals? And I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. And we really did. We morphed from an original band to a cover band uh, for no, um, with no intention. 
It, so it I, just if I could happened. gather a guess, yeah. it's, it just kind of happened because you had an audience, you had a hot room, and you're playing stuff that people knew, which is oh, – that's the trick, right? I mean, if you're going to put you know, a great cover tune – next to an original tune and you can and you're gonna get a scream from you know 25 girls and 15 boys because you've 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 played something that connects with them that they know they can sing along with that makes it harder for your cover tunes to find their way in light and then you go into a, a you know a certain venue and you string a couple of those together all of a sudden you got the room cooking in a way that is much harder to do with all original music so you would and think I I, I, I totally agree. Like that makes the most sense, but it's not what happened. Believe it or not. <laughs> I know it's like, yeah, it's like it makes a lot of sense, but it, you're wrong. But yeah, it turns like I would agree with if I didn't know that if I hadn't lived the story, I would actually agree with you because of course that's what happened. No, it, our high school and the sort of the vibe around it, there was a huge uh, value placed on original music. And there were like these venues that kids had created, like warehouses where, where kids had created that you could have these parties and stuff. And, and it was like, it, we were basically having frat parties while we were in high school and that, and yeah. we were playing them. It really, that's sort of how it worked out. And, uh, and, and original music was like the, the, the most valuable thing there. If you played a cover, you had to explain why. Like it, it was, it, it was that much. Right. And, but then we, you started playing other things, but the last show that we played was essentially one of these venues. And we were, we had gotten to the point where we could do no wrong. You know, we were, we were, you know, respected by everybody that, that came and everybody knew us. And we started playing the songs we wanted to play. And that meant entertaining ourselves by playing covers. And I think we also were sort of seeing the end of the band, uh, you know, for various reasons, personal reasons, life changes and, and that sort of thing. And and I, I would I, I really think that that was it was it was a choice we made for us, not because the crowd wanted it. Uh, in fact, I would even argue that we would have had a better response at that that last gig had we played some of our originals because some of the covers we were playing were pretty, you know, inside baseball covers. And it was like, yeah, I don't I don't think people knew them. Yeah. People may have thought many of them were originals of ours anyway. Um, but I think it was our way of sort of saying goodbye to ourselves slowly as opposed to um, as opposed to sort of, you know, facing the reality that this thing was going to end. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but so, so I've it was seen kind of your own happen. your own last waltz. It was our own last waltz. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a fun gig, but it was um, it was interesting. Kind of loading out when Jeff pointed that out. It's like, oh, that's interesting. We should dissect uh, all right, so that let's someday. just take this text. Yeah. So you're a you're you're a cover band, and you've been playing covers for years. And you know your band says, eh, you know, let's let's stretch creatively. Let's see what we can do with some original music. So you get together, you collaborate, someone brings in stuff, whatever. Now your cover band's been around for years and you've got you've got eight covers, right? Maybe sure. you record it, maybe you can sell it at your gigs. So tell me what you would do with those. Would you play all eight at gigs? Would you where would you put them in your sets? How how does a cover band integrate original music into what they do you know one one size doesn't fit all for this no but just talk talk from ten thousand feet yeah so fling is a good example for me to sort of speak from with this we um it's interesting earlier as i was saying you need to know who you are 
Um, I don't really know how I would answer that question about Fling today. And initially, Fling was definitely an originals band. Um, it it became more of a covers band again when we started playing out more and needed to fill three sets worth. Um, but we've always kept originals as part oh, wait, of it. Wait, wait, pause on a sec. So this is yeah. interesting. Yeah. You were yeah. getting gigs, but you needed to fill time. I would have thought that the whole impetus of the problem is that it's way easier to get a cover gig and seed it with original material than get just get a gig right. and you decide what you want to do at the time. Yeah. Is that is that a is that a false assumption? No, that's that's about right. I mean okay. yeah. Yeah, so so we would get these gigs, and, and you know we we at, we certainly had some covers. Fling did not start as a band when I joined Fling. There was no plans or intention to ever have plans to gig, right? And then we would get asked, "Hey, can you play our you know backyard barbecue or whatever?" Got it. It's like, yeah, okay, cool, fine. And and I was always playing in another band or or more uh, that was out gigging to sort of scratch that itch for myself. It was fine. And the guys saw that and some of them were like, Hey, like, would you play gigs with us? I said, of course, you know, I play gigs with anybody. I love playing gigs. And, um, and so that started us down the path of adding more covers, but we always had them. It was just a project where we got together, worked through whatever originals anybody in the band was writing. And, uh, and then also if somebody had a, a song they liked, we'd learn it and play it. You know, it was just, it was bowling night. We just happened to do mm. it with musical instruments instead of bowling balls. Yeah. Right. And and it was great. I, the only reason I joined with Fling was to to meet new people here in New Hampshire, like people that were, you know, demographically similar to me. Like, oh, we both have kids in the same school at about the same age. Like, it would be good for us to hang out. But I'm a weird guy. You probably don't have anything, of it, you know, like we don't share any common interests. So, like, I don't like to go and complain about my wife to somebody over a beer. Like, that's just not my thing. And so... You know, I'm not really into sports. It's like, oh, good. I'll find the musicians. Great. You know, and, and it worked out like obviously really, really well. Uh, so it was fine that there was no gigs. You know, it was just yeah. every Wednesday night or whatever it was. And uh, and then we started playing covers and Fling has definitely now kind of done what Go Figure did, although it didn't kill Fling. Uh, we, we have played gigs where I'm pretty sure we've played no uh, originals at all, but uh, now are in more of a push to play more originals and at our gigs. And, and we're probably doing 50, 50 these days at, at fling gigs. And so I've been through this process that you're asking about of how to incorporate originals into a set where people are expecting covers. Right. And the good news is that for the most part, fling has not all of our originals are, are this good, but we have several where the first time we play it, people are into it. And and that's like, that's killer, right? Because halfway through the tune, people know the chorus, people are into the song. And so now it's interesting. So, mm -hmm. but you still have to, like you said, be careful with where you put them in the set. Do you end the set with an original? Well, probably not for the wrong crowd, but maybe, you know, like we did the other night and it worked, but it was the right original. It's one that we've road tested for many, many years. Like I knew it would have the right energy to, to, you know, to kill the end of the set and really bring it all home. And, uh, and so it's like, do you start a set with an original? Sometimes do you do more than two originals in a row? Probably not, you know, best to throw like something in that people know, like a Beatles tune with great harmonies. I, I've organized our fling song list into the purposes that songs serve. Right. So I have one category called impressive. It's like, great. <laughs> if if we need to to get everybody's attention, if we've lost them, 
cool, throw one of the impressive songs in there that has in the past proven to serve that purpose. And hopefully it will do so again, you know. So, uh, you know, so sandwiching an impressive tune like after a couple of originals just to be sure that you can back clean up on that. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, I rec- highly recommend that, that system of organization. I have impressive is one of them, like jammies another, but the, the rest are, is it, I have, a, I have get them up tunes, tunes that like sweet home Alabama is on at the top of that list. If people are in their chairs, what's going to get their butts out of their chairs. And I've got, you know, five songs that will do that almost every time. So great. If I have to, I'll put two of them together. I'm not proud, you know, uh, but then I've got just like straight ahead rockers that I call keep them up tunes. I've got uh, sparse tunes that are good for, you know, the kind of the, the the point in the evening where you want to mellow it out a little bit. Maybe a Beatles tune or, you know, the Nowhere Man kind of fits in that category. Yeah. Yeah. So so I so I think about these things when I'm building the set and that's how I think about these things. And so putting the originals in, yeah, you got to sandwich them in to things where, you know, like, oh, I've got a song that's going to really work and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Wait, let's do this again. So okay. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get to a point in your show where you've killed and you've got the audience paying yeah. attention. You got Then it. you can do one original and then back to your originally scheduled cover music. Yeah. Sometimes even two back to back. If it's the right two, if they're the right length and, and the right vibe of the tunes. Yeah. Like I could, I could do two in, in a set where people are expecting covers. Yes. And I, and I, I qualify it that way because there are times when we will play gigs and everyone there knows that we're playing all originals and, and that's quite different, obviously. Yes. 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 Yeah. Do you, um, do you tell people that was an original or do you just keep playing? So I, I think this is where this came up last time is uh, we do tell people it's an original. The mistake that I've been making is highlighting the person who uh, who started the idea, who who wrote right. the majority of the song. We've now stopped that. You know, it's just this is a flinger. Yeah. And sometimes we will. Sometimes I'll say, well, you know, we'll play an original here for you or uh you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, yeah, that was a, a fling original. Previously, I would say, oh, that was a Russ Miles tune, you know, whatever. Um, or sometimes we'll, you know, finish maybe we'll, if we do two originals and then some song that everybody knows, it'll be like, oh, thanks. You know, and, and the previous two tunes were originals, you know, leading up to that. We only wish we had written the third one or whatever, you know, some some something to make it interesting. Yeah. And do you. um are you always ready to te- tell people how to get more of your originals? Like, do you, do you, Absolutely. you know, flingrocks.com so, folks. There that, you go. That's a URL, not a request. So you got it. Otherwise people throw rocks at the stage. That's bad. And, um, what do you hope to have happen with those originals? I mean, I mean, you've written them and you've gotten the creative expression out of you, right? And you can perform them. So, mm-hmm. you know, now they're, they're production songs now. Um, would you want, to be able to open for touring groups with just your originals? I mean, is that, is that a goal of the band? Not a goal of fling. It's certainly what we did with go figure when I was in college um, with our, with, you know, with our set, which was mostly originals and that sort of thing. Um, are they, so are the originals just a, they're they're They are themselves the means to their own end. They, you know, it's just a matter of expression. There's not some bigger business plan that goes around having created these. Not these with originals. fling. no, no, not with, no. Well, we, we, we do this cause we enjoy it. It's fine. It. Um, it's really Create enjoyable. It, it, yes. And it's, but it, it is super enjoyable when people show up at the gigs and you see them singing your songs like that's awesome. And so that's why we tell people, Hey, go get this stuff because 
it opens the door and gives us more freedom at the next gig to play more originals. That's why we can do two, sometimes three in a row. If How pe- often do you get a chance to play whole shows of originals? Um, whenever we choose to, we probably do a couple of those a year um, where we'll just plan a night and it's like, yeah, our set this night's going to be all originals or, you know, the second set of this gig is going to be all originals or something like that, you know, and we just tell people and do it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's great. And do you actually sell, you sell uh, printed CDs now? No. Everything streamed. Everything streamed. Um, I mean, you can buy, we don't, we never made up printed CDs for the, the EP, the bovine abduction EP that we did, but um, (laughs) there's a theme here. I'm starting to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, you know, you can, you can stream them on all the streaming services that are out there. And, and of course, you know, CD baby will print you a CD if you want, or you can download the MP3s or flax from them or whatever, you know? So yeah, we've made a little bit of money from it. It's fine. We didn't really have any costs going into it. Its goal was just be a creative. Yeah. We've got these great songs. The reality is, and and this is an interesting part is when we're like building a set list for something, somebody might suggest some cover, like, like our, our bass player really likes Bruce Coburn and he'll love Bruce Coburn. Yep. And there's some people that do, but by and large, you know, if you get a crowd of people, there's probably not going to be that many people that are like into the deep cuts from Bruce Coburn. And so he'll be like, oh, let's play like Rocket Launcher or something. And it's like, yeah, uh, I think Rocket Launcher is <laughs> a Bruce Coburn tune. I can't even remember now. And it I'll is. be like, it, it is, right? Yeah. And it's a great tune. It's fun to play, all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, but, you know, we play like Hamburg Station Blues, one of the Fling, Fling Originals. We play that way better. It's a better song. It, like objectively, if you're gonna play, you're saying if you're gonna play something that not many people are gonna know, correct. what are you gonna do with that time? You you in a in a in a cover show, yep. you afford yourself x amount of slots to do that. Yes. And the and question is, what's the best song to put in there? Not the original for the original's sake. Correct. Or and maybe the or maybe the original for the original's sake. Right. Well, maybe like, if nobody's gonna know it, I'd rather play one of our originals, even though I've never written a song for Fling. Right. Like all not, things being equal, though, like you're, you're saying, you play both of them. You, you, you know, yeah. if, if you play the Coburn song, if you play the hell out of that song, you actually played it better than the than the than the original. Would you would you still use that slot for the original? All things being equal, if we're going to go to a place where sure. no one's going to know the tune anyway, we might as well use it for our own stuff. Yeah, I would, and continue I would to get it better and better. Yeah. The only reason the only time I would I would place a cover over an original is if the cover is going to. It actually, like if it has an expectation of engaging the crowd, right? But if it's a vanity song, I prioritize originals every time because yeah. I can get more mileage out of that down the road. Like it's that ours. You can't go see any other band playing that song tonight. And if you liked that song, you'll come back and see us. Huh. And that was a huge thing in high school and college, right? So now you've kind of taken it to a new place. So I've, I've been asking a bunch of questions yeah. about, you know, the use of it. And what's the purpose of it? Now you're saying that your originals actually are an asset to creating a differentiation about your band. Absolutely. So your cover band, you can go into a club and say, listen, we've developed a following because in addition to great covers that we do that, you know, people love, we have some really unique original stuff that brings in a whole new crowd or, you know, has developed a fan base for us yep. and you get the best of the both worlds. You get a great cover show and you get people who love original music and they come in. So yep. you actually, that, that's kind of why I was asking questions to me. I can't imagine doing it for the sake of doing it. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's a, one reason, a goal. That sure. be, you know, connected to everything else you do. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. 
No, and that's it. If you come out and it, like, it's great when somebody comes up and asks, hey, are you guys going to play Girl Next Door tonight? It's like, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. For you, anything, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a performance, right? So, yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to me. And then, so then there's the other t- way around. Like, you know, I think original groups use covers in a slightly different way. Absolutely. They, they, they use it to pay homage to somebody that has, you know, affected them to demonstrate kind of a connection to the music world at large. Um, sometimes it's just the right cover. Sometimes it's just, it fits your vibe. It's a, it's a tune you can take and make your own um and it fits your story of your original band. You agree well, with that? Yeah. Earlier in the episode, you said, you know, covered bands and original bands tend to look at cover songs differently. Whereas a cover, you know, as cover artists, you sort of dig in, you're like, I need to, you know, what's that nuance or this? And the original guys will be like, I think this is how it goes, you know, and then they just play it. And what what's cool about that, and we did a lot of this in my college band with Go Figure, is we would take a, a cover tune, but we would make it our own. You know, like we had, we, we really liked Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. Yeah. Uh, and our bass player was like, oh yeah. He's like, I've been messing around with the, the progression there. And he's like, I came up with this, this funky groove. And he did. It was just like this, you know, it was like, instead of just a bump, 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 you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he laid that down. It was like, oh yeah. So we all kind of played, you know, around that. And Jeff sang the lyrics and we actually came up with a cool harmony for the course choruses. And so did we play psycho killer? Yes. Did it sound anything like what any of us have heard the talking heads? I don't want to say what the talking heads have ever played. Cause who knows what they played in the studio, you know, for themselves, but did it ever sound, did it sound like the psycho killer? We know, no, not, not <laughs> at know, all. My favorite example of that is, is um, I love what cake does to, I will survive. Exactly. That's pretty straight cover though. Right. Well, I mean, but it's a totally different feel, right? It's, it's just totally a, you know, different. kind of a grinding, grinding guitar. And yeah. actually, if you're a listener, you won't get it until it kicks the first chorus, probably. That's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Right. There's there's a lot of examples of this where it's like, oh, yeah, what a cool cover. And um, and, you know, and I mean, it, the, 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 that's a great thing. So so essentially taking covers and. And treating them like you would an original, right? Like somebody comes in and says, hey, I have this idea. Here's a song. Like the fact that they didn't write it is sort of irrelevant. You know, it's like, okay, cool. How can we make this a go figure song or a fling song or a whatever? And okay, cool. Let's just do our thing to it. Just like we would with any other song that you brought in original or not. And so I think that's why you get those kinds of things out of original bands because it, 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 to your point earlier, it's, there's a completely different mindset approaching. It's like, Oh, what's the progression? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've always liked that one little hook they do. So you keep that and everything else, you know, sort of changes and, and it becomes not your own song, but your own. So as a musician and a music fan, for me, it's a slightly different thing than what you're sharing. So Bruce Springsteen plays a lot of covers and Petty played several covers and whenever, and these things always go over huge. And, and I think they go over huge because um, there's a little bit of the randomness of it. That's, that's cool. Hearing this artist that you really like with their interpretation of exactly. a song that's well known is really kind of a thrilling thing to me. Yep. You know how they, how they kind of emote something with Springsteen's band. It's, it's fun to me because one of the great universal vibes is that they're kind of like, a big bar band, right? Right. And they're not, same they're with not the house trying rockers. to, some of these, not the house rockers, same with uh, the heartbreakers. Right. Right. Yes. They're, 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 
they're grip it and rip it, right? Just pick it up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and there's something kind of exciting, viscerally cool about when you give these, when you give these people a song that you like the song already. Right. Interestingly, Springsteen did a, a really fascinating cover when he was touring Australia. He did one of, uh, not Saturday Night Fever. He did one of, uh, oh, what's the Bee Gees hit? Staying oh, I'm Alive? Have to look it up. Staying Alive. But he completely rearranged the song. Sure. Uh, again, it's such a well-known song that as soon as he started singing it, you knew what song it was. But it was not the same instrumental arrangement. And in that was all sorts of cool things. The irony of Bruce singing Australia. If you're in Australia, you know, a local band, that was part of the appeal of that. Um, Bruce Bruce doing the Bee Gees was just kind of a really interesting thing. I can and see then, that, yeah. Then the whole arrangement, I mean, it, that that wasn't a grip it and rip it one. That's one that they clearly gave some thought to and they sure. did specifically for that audience and it went really well. But then there's the other stuff. There's a really um, famous video going around. I actually think Springsteen's camp released it. Uh, they got a request for um, you, you Never Can Tell, the Chuck Berry song. Now, this is going to be a hard song. But in real time, Bruce is singing the horn line, telling the horns what he wants them to play. In a stadium show, he's literally piecing <laughs> the song together. That's it's great. hysterical to watch. And that's part of the shtick. And then when the whole band kicks into it and it works, yeah. it's like, I was a part of this. I was the I was a part of the band making the song happen right here and right now. It's, it's a really cool, visceral thing. I, we got to put the links for both these things up. For um, sure. Because yeah. there are two examples of it. One is like, you know, what you do a cover because you're connecting with a local audience. And how does that translate? you know, a Springsteen voice singing Staying Alive. It was sure. just a remarkable thing. And then the other one was just like, all right, you know, we're having some fun here. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. Give us a, give us a, a suggestion. Right. And, uh, and then how they literally put the song together in real time. It's a pretty fantastic thing. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fun of it. I think. All right. Well, I'm, I'm committed, Dave. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, really, I've got my mindset. I've been leading up to this for years and years and years and taking my talking myself out of it more often than not. And uh, I really want to see if I can find that way to emote, you know, these things and, you know, deal with my own personal fears about it. Um, you the know, fear thing I get. I, I, my guess is most people listening get that. I mean, it's, but that's it's the reward, petrifying. right? Like right. anything else. Like you, you, anything you go into else. the darkness and if you come out the other side, it's, you know, it's, and you will. Um, and, it, it's not so much I'm worried about being laughed at if if what I think is a deep thought ends up being something that someone else ridicules. I get that that uh, there's that a certain yes. there's a certain valor in in believing in your own intellect that I think is worth you know sticking sticking with right. Yep. I mean I think you have to have a certain amount of of uh, flame retardant underwear in order to do this in the first place, right? <laughs> <It's true. laughs> I like that. That's the right way to look at it. That's right. Yeah. There's that title for this week's show. I believe. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll talk about it as I go along and, you know, I'll touch base on it. Be, it'll be a theme for 2019. And by the end of 2019, I hope to be able to share something. Cool. Yeah. All right? I, I think this is great, man. Good stuff. Cool. All right, brother. You got anything else for today? We good? We'll no, talk. this is a lot of fun. This we'll revisit good... that stuff about vocal stomp boxes yeah. and effects boxes and all of that next week. Um, we'll share your thoughts. We'll share ours. And if you have anything to add to that or to anything else we've talked about here, please do share your thoughts with us uh, at uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime. 
time. What's always. Thing? That's it. Always be performing, folks. Do that for us, and really, you'll do it for yourself. We'll see you next week. Ciao.